I'm just kidding. Um, but if you could do one thing in your, in your communicator, there's a flyer for um, our Christmas Eve service. If you could pull that out, let's just look at that for a minute. It's our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And that's all of our stuff. And here we go. So today I want to talk about going to the manger. We're talking about this whole series is we're journeying to Bethlehem. We're journeying to the manger. We're bur- journeying somewhere with God. And so today we want to talk about what does it look like when we actually journey to the manger itself. So John Gondola was watching his four-year-old niece uh, a couple years ago. Her name was Ashley. And um, Ashley's family had just begun to go to church for the very first time in their lives. And so four-year-old Ashley was all excited. And so one day, you know, uncle is making lunch for her, and she's sitting at the table, and she's reenacting the Lord's Supper communion time. And she's taking the cup, and she's, she's pretending that she's at church with other people taking communion together. And here's what she said. And Jesus took the cup, and he blessed it, and he thanked God for it, and he said, fill it with coffee and wake him up. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I love little kids reenacting and like they're letting their just their imagination go um my one of my church plants my wife and i have done two church plants one of my church plants one day we were taking communion and as we took communion one day i saw we kind of like what we're, we're going to actually take communion at the end of the service today but um they everybody went up and there was a table up front here and people wandered up and I saw them take a piece of bread, and they dipped it into the juice, like we do. And she put it into her mouth. And I saw her on the way back, as soon as she, she turned around, and she started going like this. <sighs> oh. And then the next person came and took communion. And I saw this guy go. <sighs> I'm like, what's going on with communion today? And so I went and took communion. And in the top of my communion bread was baked in the top jalapenos. (laughs) Fresh jalapenos. And so they're baked in the top. And everybody's taking this, like, fancy bread with with jalapenos in it. And and I kind of like it. I like it. Now, we won't do that to you. Some of you are like, John, be careful. Uh, Well, did you know that Jesus offers us life caffeinated? Do you know that Jesus offers the church life with great spice? Just like that jalapeno bread. There's meaning and joy and God's goodness and love and forgiveness. God offers... You and me and the church, a different kind of life. It's not normal life. It's caffeinated. It's spicy. It's, there's something really good about life in God if, the, if we could only get it. If we could only maybe set aside all of our extra stuff and actually focus on Jesus during 
the holiday season. Sometimes when we look at the Christmas story, it seems like a fairy tale. And I want you to know this morning, it was nothing like a fairy tale. We've been looking at the reality of Christ's birth, Mary's uh, cries and difficult season that she went through, a terrified Joseph, and the cries of a newborn king. God's son was born not in a royal palace, but in a place where donkeys are kept. Guys, this is no fairy tale story. And so let, if you got your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. If you don't have them, it's up on the overhead. We're going to start yep, at verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angels reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great, that will bring great joy to all people. Verse 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of other of others the armies of heaven praising god and saying glory to god in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom god is pleased then the when the angels had returned to heaven the shepherds said to each other let's go to bethlehem let's see this thing that has happened which the lord has told us about they hurried to the village and found mary and joseph and there was a baby lying in a manger verse 17 after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and, and, then, and that the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and it was just as the angel had told them. I love it, guys, that the announcement of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was first to some shepherds in a field. And I love it. Had the angels gone to the religious elite, they would have been checking their commentaries. Had the angel gone to the highbrow, highbrow, they would have been looking to see if anybody was watching. Had the angels gone to the successful they first would have looked at their calendars. So the angel goes to these shepherds, men who didn't have a reputation to protect, an axe to grind, or a ladder to climb. Men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and that messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags and sleeping in a feeding trough. Because first, and let me just give you a little bit of history here. Um, First century shepherds were like lowest on the totem pole of life's, like how you'd perceive jobs and job training. They were like low rung of that ladder. First century shepherds were typically un uneducated, poor, socially inept, and they had questionable ethics. And the reason why is because shepherds were known as, A, they were intruding on other people's land, and B, 
not only did, did they intrude in land, but they were known to borrow other people's equipment and stuff. If you had your farm, they would kind of borrow things. They were known for that. Uh, did you know that shepherds 2,000 years ago, their testimony in court was considered unreliable? And on top of it all, they're hygienically challenged. They smelled of dirty sheep all the time. Their work was dirty and dangerous. Have you guys ever watched Dirty Jobs? I, I've only watched a couple episodes. But 2,000 years ago, makes the top of the list, shepherds. Shepherds. Shepherds are at the bottom of the social structure. And the angel said he came to bring good news to all people. And God's demonstrating this by starting at the very bottom. Starting at the very bottom. When Luke tells us that shepherds were the first to be invited to see Jesus, first century hearers of that would not find it enduring like we do today. They would have found, found this shocking. What? Are you kidding? Why not go to the temple? Why not go to the high places? They would have found this shocking. God blessed these night shift shepherds with such a great honor. You know, despite the fact, or maybe even perhaps because of the fact, the shepherds were considered lower-ranking members of society, God refers to himself as a shepherd for his people. When God chose young David to be king over Israel, God chose what? A shepherd boy. When God promised one day to send a new king, God described that coming king as a shepherd who would search lost sheep. That's Ezekiel 34. And when the child was born in the stable, became a man, he would describe himself as a good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. As we find the story of Jesus' birth, not a fairy tale, but instead quite earthy, marked by humility and the inbreaking of God's kingdom to this earth. So, um, both Hebrew and Greek words for this word angel. So these angels show up. First an angel and then a whole hillside of angels. Um, but in Greek and Hebrew, that word angel means, it just means a messenger. Most often in the Bible, angels simply appear as people. You guys remember in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews encourages his readers, uh, do not, I'll go to the next slide, please. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Well, why? For by doing, uh, by doing that, some have entertained entertain angels without knowing it. That's Hebrews 13, 2. So we have several night shift shepherds watching their sheep, and a stranger appears, now, this alone might have frightened them, right? They're not, they don't, a good night for a shepherd, there's like nothing happening. Here somebody shows up, oh, next thing you know, Luke says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel says, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you born this day in the city, David is a savior who is Messiah the Lord. Good news of great joy for all people. This is the birth of Jesus. And don't you crave good news? 
We don't like bad news. Bad news is really difficult for our hearts and souls. Um, well, there was a dad that had a horrible day at work, and he said, I can't take it. You know, sometimes dads walk in the door, and they get the brunt of the whole day, and all the kids, everything that's happening. And he said, I just can't take any bad news today. And his wife said, okay, no bad news. Um, and so he said, no bad news. For, the good, for the good, your good news, remember your four children? Well, three of them didn't break their arm today. Good news and bad news, and the Lord here coming is good news for all people. When we turn on the nightly news, we hear of wars and earthquakes and terrorist attacks and oil spills and economic woes. Unlike any previous generation, we have constant access to bad news. And you know what it produces? It produces fear and anxiety in us. Fear and anxiety. I actually, I used to watch the news a lot, and it's almost like I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I just stopped watching the news. <laughs> I eventually, I hear about it, right? Um, but I can't, I just, my soul can't take it anymore. Just it's like one thing after another. You watch the nightly news and you think that everything's falling apart, and maybe it is, but guess what? It's always falling apart, people. At least that's the way we perceive it. And, um, and actually, I think that the, it's not that the worst world has gotten much worse. It's that bad news coverage is so good now, right? It's gotten so much better. But listen, this text, these angels are saying, I'm bringing you good news of great joy. Today, Jesus' birth is good news of great joy. Why? Because he's a Savior. He's the Messiah the Lord. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. To be the Messiah is that long-awaited king who would rule over heaven and earth. To be Lord, it's a title that Caesar claimed. It's the ruler or master. And Caesars, 2,000 years ago, they claimed to be God. They are the Lord. But this child is not only Messiah and Lord, but he's also Savior. Savior. The shepherds may have thought that this child was destined to save them from Roman rule on the throne of on the throne of Jerusalem, but Jesus is not that kind of savior. It's not the kind of savior that's going to deliver them from Roman occupation. If Jesus was not to lead them in a in a military charge against the Romans, then what does he save us from? And this is a good question. You, you ought to ask yourself, what does God save me from? What is he the Savior of in my life? He's Lord, Messiah, and Savior. And I want you to know that your faith and my faith, you have to ask this question because I know that God saved me from my sin. But God's also saved me from being an absolute narcissist and being stuck on myself. He saved me from desiring and just wanting to accumulate stuff, and I think beyond myself. He saved me from being like a modern-day religious Pharisee that wants to look good in front of people. He saved me, and he saved me, and he is saving me all the time. He saved me from being like a fake person 
that loves to look good in front of people. He saved me from that and is saving me. And he continues to save me. Jesus saves us from guilt and shame and sin, hopelessness, despair, fear, bitterness, anger, and transforms us into people who live with freedom, hope, and joy. Freedom, hope, and joy. He came to save us from our brokenness of our shared human condition to deliver us and lead us and send us out to love the world, to bring hope and healing to broken things. Jesus came to save us from the bad news that seemed to be all around us and to be good news of great joy for us. This good news of great joy was for all people. And I love that. Because God is showing us that that's happening to the shepherds, the very lowest. Right? The very lowest. And yet, the next story is going to be about magi traveling from the east that are maybe the richest of the rich. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Jew, Gentile. God's coming to save and set his people free, and it doesn't matter where you land. It's good news for all people. All people. Once that angel announced the good news to the shepherds, out of the shadows, imagine the hillsides, a company of angels come out of the woodwork, and they shout glory to God in the highest. Heaven. Heaven. And on earth, peace among those whom he favors. The shepherds knew that they must go to Bethlehem immediately, and when they arrived, they found Jesus lying in a manger. Now, um, a manger is a really interesting thing. It's where animals eat out of. Okay? So Jesus is lying in a manger. Animals eat out of that. It's a feeding trough. Okay? Um, Jesus slept that first night in a feeding trough for animals. And I've known this detail about the story, but I, as I was this week, as I was reading this and pondering this, it's almost like I read it for the first time, and I realized, Jesus, the Messiah of the world, slept in a feeding trough for animals, for the very animals God created. And there's something about that moment that blew me away. Okay, it's just like I couldn't believe the Messiah didn't sleep on a comfortable bed, or he just slept in a, where animals eat out of I you can even imagine like some donkeys and sheep like going in there thinking I want to eat something and there's a baby like what in the world like now Luke mentions that manger three times we're told in Luke 2 7 that the child was laid in a manger and then in Luke 2 12 the angel announces to the shepherds that the Christ Christ was born, and this will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And in Luke 2, 16, the baby was lying in a manger. Perhaps that manger was not only a sign to the shepherds, but also to us. 2,000 years later. That feeding trough is where God's creatures come to eat. And Luke mentions it for th- three times for a reason. It's not like he, 
He wanted it to sink in. He wanted to highlight that to us. And he points to something greater here. Because Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, 3, one does not live on bread alone. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, 2, the prophet once wrote, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Moses and Isaiah were pointing to a deeper hunger that we have as human beings. But also to our tendency to spend money on that. We, want, we work hard for our money, right? But a lot of times we spend it on what can ultimately not, doesn't satisfy our souls. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. At the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and said, This is my body which is given for you. Because Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. Did you know that Bethlehem actually means house of bread? And that he was laid to sleep that first night in a trough where God's creatures ate. Um, my daughter Remedy, when she was almost two years old, she's like a year and three quarters. She, Kate bought her this little nativity, like little people's nativity set. It's like yay big and there's all these little creatures and animals and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in a manger. Well, Remedy, just before she's two years old, she, uh, and in my house, you don't eat in any place except the kitchen. Okay, that's just like the Mauer rule, right? Well, one day, I saw Remedy playing with her little nativity set, the little people nativity set, and she had the manger. And if you lifted up the top where Jesus was, there's this little box, and she put a whole bunch of crackers inside the box. And she would lift Jesus up with the hay, take a little bit of cracker, and then put the rest of the cracker back and hide it, and go play. She thought I wasn't watching. <laughs> I was. And then she, a little while later, she's hungry again. She'd go lift Jesus up, eat some more cracker, and put Jesus back down. And I love that story because my daughter, not only two, she was living something else that I wish the church would live out spiritually, and that is the whole point of Jesus being laid in a manger, sleeping in a manger, where the ant, a feeding trough for God's creation is that we would, as his people, say this is who we fully not only participate in our life is found in him. He is the bread of life. We partake. We feast upon God. We can't help but go to God for life. And my little, even before she's two, is living that out in a funny way. What we really hunger for will not be found this Christmas underneath the Christmas tree. And you don't have to believe that, but I, it's really true, right? You only have, actually, you'll find it out about a month after Christmas. A month after Christmas, you realize, oh, I didn't need that, and I don't really, uh, what do I do with that? And then you give it to Goodwill, or you give it away, or you sell it in Facebook stuff, or whatever you do, you realize that stuff that you thought you wanted doesn't, well, except tools and a couple other things, but 
or a book or I, anyway. You know what I mean, though? Like, we think it's going to satisfy, but it doesn't really satisfy what your heart really longs for. This Christmas will be found in that manger. In that manger, guys. We hunger for meaning and joy and hope in the face of despair and forgiveness and love that won't let us go and for triumph in the middle of darkness and death. These come through a baby born in a stable, laid to sleep in a feeding trough, visited by night shift shepherds. Jesus is the bread of life for you and I. You guys, Jesus offers us life caffeinated with great spice. And we must come to that stable to satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. And that's where we find meaning and joy and hope and forgiveness and love. I invite you to come to the manger this Christmas and eat of this bread. Eat of this bread. Um, let me give you a couple practical tips, and then we're going to take communion today um, as we are closing. Number one, practical tip. Make a journal entry on how Jesus saved me and thank him afterwards for it. I, I encourage you, so sometimes we've simplified our relationship with God, and we're like, it's all about forgiveness of sins. It is about that, absolutely, but it's also about all the other ways that God saves you. So make a journal, like, God saved me from the destructive nature of myself. Jesus saved me from, and just journal about that. How has God saved you? And make that journal. It could be your sin and guilt and shame or hopelessness or despair or fear, bitterness, anger, etc. Now keep in mind that your testimony, and that's actually your testimony, guys. And I want you to know your testimony is so easy to share with people around you. Because it's your story. It's what God has done for you. And so it's so easy to just like, here's what God has done in me. Share that. Um, number two. Tell Jesus in your prayer times, you're my shepherd, lead me. You're the good shepherd, lead me. Just as the shepherd needs to be watched and cared for, allow God that to do that for you. Um. Let God actually lead you. And you know what that leading means? That means you have to let go of some control. And we as Westerners love to control every little thing, don't we? But what if we said, God, you're my good shepherd. I don't even know because if left to my own stuff, guess what happens? I, get, I make a lot of bad mistakes, don't I? Uh, we start accumulating stuff. We start thinking that life is about what's underneath that tree instead of what really matters in life. And number three, uh, at a meal with fellow Christians, take communion together as part of the meal. Sometimes, to be really honest, sometimes the church is so focused around communion at church as, as we gather, and that's great. I, I'll, that's what we're going to celebrate in a minute here. But what if you... And just as a family or with some friends, you're having dinner, just take communion together. And I've been in those moments where we take communion together and it's like the Spirit of God just visits and comes and is almost like tangible with 
us in that moment. Like I, 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 you can sense God's spirit saying, yes, like that's what it's about. That's what the first century did. They would eat together and then they'd take communion together. So I encourage you to take communion as a family. Maybe even on Christmas, take communion with your family and friends. It's really good to practice that outside of church, not just in church, okay? Okay. Um, we're going to take communion during this next song. Here's my life once again. Whatever that is for you, whatever you've been searching after, remember it's found in a manger. It's found in a manger. He's the true bread of life. So let me pray, um, and we're going to... We're going to all, we'll take communion, and why don't we have our prayer partners, um, if our prayer partners could actually go, there's five places to take communion today, there'll be one right in the center here, there'll be one on each side, and one in the back, why don't we have our prayer partners go to those areas, and if you need prayer, we'd love to pray, and bless what the Spirit of God is doing this morning, as you take communion, if you just want somebody to pray for you, um, they'll be right there, okay? So our prayer partners, why don't you pick one of those five spots? Um, Dave's going to help us move this table in the middle here. Uh, but why don't you guys stand with us, with me? So Jesus, here we are.